Walker's actually going to send a text down to Matt, and uh, some of those kids are going to come upstairs. So if you'd like your child to participate in that, uh, certainly we want them to as well, as long as they are saved. Just by uh, way of talking of communion, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, um, then we believe that communion is for believers, that it's not just for anybody, it's not a religious tradition that we do, um, but it's for those who have repented of their sins and turned to faith in Christ. Um, if, if you partake and you're not a believer, um, then it really has no effect for you, spiritually speaking. Uh, but for those of us who are saved, it's a time to stop and remember and reflect on um, the sacrifice that Christ made for us, and it's a special time, and it's something that Christ instituted before he went to the cross, and it's something that Paul, um, Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians as he was uh, giving instructions to the church, and it's something that we still celebrate today, and we do it in remembrance of Christ. Uh, Psalm 146, again, is where we're going to be this morning. And as I said, we're not in the Gospel of Mark. It really worked out well. We had finished chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, and then we had a missionary. And so I I was wanting to do communion, and and during the week of VBS, just started thinking through uh, some of these psalms that talk about praising the Lord, and it felt like an appropriate thing to do um, to just talk uh, on this subject, to preach on this subject from Psalm 146. And so I do pray it's a help and a blessing to you. But before uh, we, we begin, uh, let's just have another word of prayer. And as I pray, uh, again, I would ask you to pray. Pray that God would speak to your heart, um, that we would be sensitive to the, the Spirit as He works in our hearts, that we would um, be obedient to the Word as it's preached, and that we would be drawn closer together to Christ, but also to one another. Let's pray. God, we are grateful again um, for your kindness towards us. And God, even these commands of praise the Lord, are, are a picture of your kindness, because in our flesh, um, this is something we cannot do. But because we've been redeemed, God, because we have been uh, brought into your family, because we've received the salvation that only comes through your Son, we get to take part in something that's going to happen for all of eternity. And so this morning, as we think about praising your name, God, I pray that, that we would not wait for eternity to begin, but our heart's desire would be to praise you each and every day of our lives. God, we know that sometimes praise is hard. But I also believe that when praise is hard, because of the circumstances of life, God, that's actually when we're drawn into a more intimate relationship with you. So I pray, God, that our hearts would be centered on your word today, that, that we would be open to your spirit speaking to us, and that we would be obedient in following through with the things that we find in your word today. We thank you, God, again for your goodness, for your kindness towards us. We know we don't deserve it. Because we know we don't deserve it, God, I pray that our praise would be more fervent than ever before. We thank you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The last five psalms that we have in the collection of the psalms all begin in the same way, and you can look at that later on and read through these psalms. They're short. It will take you less than 10 minutes to do so. But they begin with this phrase, praise ye the Lord, and this is an English interpretation of a Hebrew phrase that would have been a compound phrase, with the first part being the Hebrew word Hallel, which means praise, and the second part being Jah, which is a contraction of the name of God or Jehovah. And so in essence, the psalmist is saying, hallelujah, or as we say it, praise ye the Lord, praise Jehovah, praise God. And, and as a child, even here, as we, we did VBS years ago, we would sing that song, Hallelujah, 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 Praise Ye the Lord. And why do we sing that? 
Because the name of God deserves to be praised. The name of God deserves to be magnified and lifted up by those whom God has worked in their lives who understand the salvation that he has provided. And certainly the children of Israel as they went through their time in the Old Testament, they saw God's physical salvation time and time again. And so as they would make their way to the temple for worship, the psalmist was calling them to this idea that it is good to give praise to the Lord. Not just when you're going to the temple for worship, but each and every day of your life. As we move into the New Testament and we understand in a a different way, a deeper way, the spiritual salvation that God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. Friend, the truth is no different that each and every day our heart's desire should be to praise the Lord. It's debated over who wrote this psalm and the ones who follow. Modern scholars believe that it was David. But Jewish tradition says it was a combination of Haggai and Zechariah. But either way, regardless of who wrote the Psalms, we understand that their heart's intention was very clear, to lift up the name of the Lord. By way of introduction, verse 1 opens the psalm in a great way. It says, praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And so as the psalmist is writing here, you can feel the intensity, you can feel the excitement. It wasn't just words that he was saying of simply, oh, I guess we should spend some time praising the Lord. But these words from his lips were the overflow of his heart as he was thinking about all that God had done for him. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord. Not just from my lips, but all my soul. From the deepest part of who I am, from the deepest part of my being, I am going to praise the Lord. So something was overflowing within the psalmist as he thought about the Lord, his God. As he thought about the evil that surrounded him and the holiness of the one who protected him, his heart resounded with this idea of praise ye the Lord. As he thought about the sin within himself, and as he thought about the God who had promised to save him, his heart was overwhelmed with this idea, and it cried out with praise to the Lord. As he thought about the unknowns of life, and then as he thought about the one who knew all things and holds all things in the palm of his hand, what did the psalmist say? Praise ye the Lord. Why? Because the name of the Lord deserves to be praised. As we think about the psalmist, whether it was David or whether it was Haggai or Zechariah, we understand that each of these men went through very difficult times in their lives. Being a servant of God or serving God in any day has its challenges. But some of these prophets, the things that they faced in the Old Testament time, were beyond what our minds can imagine. The spiritual warfare that David himself faced as he was a a man after God's own heart, yet oftentimes found himself yearning or longing for sin. Uh, He he faced battles that that we don't even understand. And, And whoever wrote these psalms, they understood one truth. And that truth was this. That whatever they were facing in life, whatever they were going through, whatever trial was knocking on their door, whatever victory they had just walked through with great success, The one who deserved the praise for it all was the Lord. Friend, do you you believe that today? That the name of the Lord deserves to be praised? That the name of the Lord, the one who gives you strength, the one who gives you peace, the one who, who guides your path, the one who gives you direction in this life, the one who is with you through the difficult and, and the, the, the joyful, that his name deserves to be praised? You see, this was not just words that were on the psalmist's mouth, but these were words that were coming from deep within him. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul, he says. These words were not spoken in pretense or for a show. He was not seeking to impress those around him or earn favor from a certain sect of religious people, but rather the words of his lips were springing forth from the well of his heart, and he wanted everyone to know that his God deserved to be praised. And how did he make that known? He made it known by expressing verbally his gratitude towards God. It's funny, sometimes in our Christian life, we, we like to hold our gratitude towards God in unless we're in the company of those who believe. Then we'll talk about it. But do you realize God's name deserves to be praised in every context of life? That wherever we are, that God is the one who receives the glory. And so if you work a secular job, if, if you have neighbors who aren't saved, do you understand today that it's okay to praise the Lord? It's okay to give credit for the things that God has done in your life. It's okay to magnify the name of God. Will they understand what you're doing or why you're doing it? No, but when you do it, guess what you'll be? You'll be like a city that's set on a hill that's light cannot be hid. And the one that you're speaking of is the one who will draw all men to himself. Because of your praise, because of your witness of what God is doing in your life, those around you will begin to be curious as to who this God is and what he has done for them as well. This phrase, praise the Lord, is often something that we say. But in my own life, I've had to stop and wonder if when I say it, I truly mean it. You see, saying this phrase for the purpose of sounding Christian or saying this phrase because we're supposed to say it while we're not actually believing it is the equivalent of lying or breaking one of the commandments which says, Take not the name of your Lord God in vain. And I don't think we think about that often. We say praise the Lord, but are we really praising him? We say praise the Lord, but are our hearts really in that position where we're magnifying his name? Friend, we have to be careful with what we say because we will be held accountable for the words that come from our mouth. Jesus, speaking of the religious crowd in Matthew's gospel, says they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. And so public praise to God when our hearts are not in that place of praising really does nothing good for anyone. So I would ask us today to consider this idea of praising God and consider our heart's position when it comes to praising his name. To say praise the Lord and then not live under the authority of the Lord would be the epitome of hypocrisy. To say praise the Lord and then continually grumble and complain about your lot in life would be extremely confusing to an onlooking world. To say praise the Lord and then take credit for all the good things in your life while blaming God for all the bad things in essence would be making yourself an idol. And so as the psalmist begins, we see that he is laser focused on one thing. And it's truly the one thing that deserves our complete attention, and that is the Lord who is worthy of praise. The big idea this morning is simply this. A heart filled with praise to God is a sign that we have made the one who is worthy of our praise the center of our lives. And so as we begin, I would ask the question that we all need to answer. And the question is really quite simple. The question is simply this. Do we really praise the Lord? Do we really praise the Lord? 
As we just sang, springs of living water, and there is one gospel, and behold our God. Was God praised through the words that we sang? Well, the answer to that question is found in the position of our heart before the one that we're speaking of. So as we go through this psalm today, I pray that we would be challenged in this area of praise, and that we would desire, in the end of our time together, to live a life that praises God regardless of what we're going through that the song of our life would be praise to his name. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Just going to see two things this morning in this psalm, and the first one is simply this, the psalmist's resolution to praise. The psalmist's resolution to praise. In verses 2 through 4, he says, While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being, put not your trust in princes, nor the son of man in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to the earth. In that day, his very thoughts perish. The psalmist's resolution to praise. What are you determined to do in this life? We could talk about this for several hours on end thinking about the great goals and dreams and aspirations that each one of us has. Some simple ones that I think we could all probably agree on is to to live an upstanding moral life, right? We don't want to fall into any grievous sin. We don't want to find ourselves veering off the path into a, a life that is full of destruction and chaos for ourselves or for our own family. I know as a, a dad, uh, one of the things that's on my mind is, is raising kids who, who know the Lord as their Savior, that they understand that there's, there's more to a relationship with God than just saying a simple prayer that, that hopefully will get them out of hell, but it's an ongoing daily relationship where they're growing in their walk with Him. Some of us in life just simply have a goal of surviving. Have you ever been there? Where it seems like life is chaotic and everything around you is falling apart and you're just hoping to make it to the very next day. Certainly we all have dreams, we all have aspirations, we all have things that we are determined to do in this life. But as we look at this psalm, as we look at the last five psalms in this collection, we understand that the psalmist's desire was indeed to praise the Lord with his being. I love what he says in verse 2. While I live, I will praise the Lord until the day that God takes my last breath from me and I see him face to face. I'm going to determine to praise the Lord in every step that I take, in every decision that I make, in every thought that I have, in every word that I speak. My desire is to praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because he deserves to be praised. He goes on to say in verse number one, uh, I'm sorry, verse number two, I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. I love that picture because we often think about praising God in a very dramatic way. Maybe you like to raise your hand in church in a way of praising God, and I'm all for that. Maybe you like to sing really, really loud. But the picture that the psalmist is saying, while I have any being left, when I'm on my deathbed, when I can barely speak a word, when I can't any longer lift a hand, I want everything about me to praise the name of God. Why would the psalmist say that? Why would he be so laser focused and and write these thoughts down? Because the psalmist understood something about God that we often forget. And that's simply this, that God is worthy of praise. You say, well, I don't forget that. I know that truth. And, And sometimes 
We do know it, but we forget it because we don't practice it. And so the psalmist says, in, in every part of my being, while I have life in, in my body and breath in my lungs, when I'm laying on my deathbed before my time comes, I am going to lift up the name of God. I am going to praise his name. And he's making a resolution about this thing. Now, I'm not a big guy on, on New Year's resolutions. I've tried the diet thing, and something about it just doesn't work for me. So I'm, I'm just giving up on that altogether, right? It's just not worth it. I make a resolution, and I fail. Well, who fails in the resolution? Is it the diet or is it me? It's me. So I'm not a big guy on making resolutions because I am a big guy on breaking resolutions. But when it comes to a resolution of praising the Lord, isn't that a resolution that each of us as believers should make? That we're determined to praise God? That we're determined to lift up His name, to to speak of His glory, to speak of His truth, to, to magnify Him in all the earth? And so the resolution was simply this. While there's breath in my lungs and life in my body, while I have any being within me, I am going to praise the Lord. Now we've already said this. The ones who wrote the Psalms often went through deep and dark and difficult days. If you read through the spiritual journey of David in the Psalms, you'll understand that he was a man who battled depression. He was a man who walked through great, great trials. And if David wrote this psalm, even in the midst of those trials, what was his resolution? That even in the face of darkness, I'm going to praise the Lord. Spurgeon, a a great and well-known preacher of, of years ago, was a man who also faced great and deep and dark depression. Died in his 50s, would spend Days and days locked away in his room, not speaking to anyone. He's also one of the ones who preached some of the greatest sermons on this idea of praising the Lord. And so we have to understand that praising the Lord doesn't always look like a a raised hand and a smile on your face. But it means that in the depths of your heart, when you feel like you can't go on, you're still going to find a reason to praise the name of God. Friends, have you ever had to search for a reason to praise the Lord? I think if we're honest, we have. Because our minds can become so clouded with everything that's going on around us that we have to stop and and remember what God has done, that we have to stop and read the scriptures again about God's goodness to us, that we have to stop and think through how God has intervened in our life. If only in a salvation way, there's enough to praise. But how many other ways has God intervened in our lives on a daily basis? And so this is why the psalmist was making this resolution that he was going to praise God. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. You see, the psalmist understood that God was not an impersonal force that that had no contact in his life, but he realized that this was a personal relationship that he had with the God that created all things. And if that was the case, then why couldn't he praise the Lord? And why shouldn't he praise the Lord? As he goes on in verses 3 and 4, he says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. In verses 3 and 4, the psalmist is comparing the one that he's about to speak of in verses 5 through 10. He's reminding us of this truth that there's one person to praise and he's making a resolution that he's going to praise God and not man. How many of us would say that we have put our hope in a person only to be let down by that person before? 
That's what the psalmist is saying. Wow, only a few of you have done that. That surprises me. We all have. We've all put our hope in a man. And the psalmist is saying, I'm not going to put my trust in princes. Now, who would these princes have been? They would have been people of great prominence and power. They would have been the people that could do really physically, earthly speaking, anything they wanted to do because they had the resources to back up their desires. But what does the psalmist say? That even these people are not worthy of my praise. Why? Because they will fail. They will take their last breath. There is no help in them, in the Son of Man. When he dies, his thoughts end in that day. But what do we know about God? That his thoughts are beyond our understanding, and he is never going to die. And so that's why we make this resolution to praise the name of God, because he deserves to be praised. In verse 1 of Psalm 147, the psalmist says this, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. As the psalmist is thinking through this idea of praising God, he's not just making a resolution to praise God because it's the right thing to do. He's making a resolution to praise God because it is a good and joyful thing to do. Has praise ever changed your disposition as a human? You walk into church some Sundays, you you jump in the car, you turn on the radio or you sit and you sing a song and all of a sudden your heart begins to shift from this heart that's filled with, with grief and despair to a heart that's overflowing with hope. That's why the psalmist says it's good to sing praises unto our God. It's a pleasant thing and it's a comely thing or it's a, a beautiful thing. Praise is good. And the psalmist is making this resolution to praise God because he understands it's the right thing to do, but also because it's a good thing to do. In our call to worship that was read in Psalm 150, 13 times in six verses, this idea of praise is mentioned. Why? Because praising the Lord is a valuable thing to do for those who believe. Now the praise of the unsaved reaches the ceiling and falls back down. But the praise of those who have been redeemed goes all the way to the throne room of heaven. Think about that. That our praise touches the heart of God. That our praise blesses God's heart. You want to do something that blesses the heart of God? Then lift up your voice and magnify His name in praise. As we said, sometimes life is difficult and things cloud our vision and praise seems a little less attainable than it does at other times in our lives. And in our low moments, when we seem to have only despair and no hope, even in those moments, we need to think on things that will drive our heart to praise. I love what Paul says in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Why? Because they are going to direct your heart to God, to, to, to focus your vision on Him and on Him alone. If you read through some, or I'm sorry, Philippians 4, 8, you'll understand that much of the things that are happening in the world do not fit what, hap- what, what Philippians 4, 8 says. Oftentimes there's not a lot of good to think on. There's not a lot of things from a secular point of view that are praiseworthy. There's not a lot of things that are of a good report or that are virtuous or that are lovely or that are praiseworthy. And so the psalmist says, uh, would agree with, with what Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, instead of focusing on what's going on around you, focus on what God has done within you. 
when we focus on those things, we'll be in a position where we can bring praise to the name of the Lord. The fellowship meeting on Friday, the pastor's fellowship, one of the pastors was talking of, um, I can't remember who it was now, but an old, old-time preacher and uh, Dusty Parody got in this guy's car or saw something in his car and he, he opened up, it was a, a Bible, and he looked at the Bible and there was a yellow, stick, yellow sticky note. And on that yellow sticky note, it said, anywhere in Philippians. And Dusty said, what, is, what does that phrase mean, anywhere in Philippians? He said, when I don't know what to preach or I'm having a bad day, I just go to anywhere in Philippians. Why? Because Philippians is the book of praise that Paul wrote in one of the darkest days of his life as, as he was at least under house arrest, where he couldn't go out and preach the gospel in the way that he desired to do it. And yet he wrote a book of joy to the church at Philippi that reminded them in whatever situation they were in and whatever thing they were facing, the name of the Lord is worthy to be praised. Rejoice evermore. Why? Because we are the redeemed. We are the ones that God has set free from the bondage and power of sin. And if there's any people who can ever praise God at any time, it is those of us who are in the family of God. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 as he's rehearsing the things that they have been through. He says, but we have in this treasure, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That sounds good, doesn't it? We're going to talk about God's power. Well, then what does he say? We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul says we have been through it all. We've been perplexed, we've been in despair, we've been troubled, but we are not forsaken, we are not cast down, and we are not destroyed. And God has allowed us to go through these things so that the life of Christ can shine through our lives and draw more people to himself. What was Paul determining to do? Praise the Lord. And everything that he did. In everything that he faced, in everything that he experienced, his desire was to praise the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that praising the Lord and witnessing about the goodness of the Lord go hand in hand. You want people to have a good view of your God? Then talk about him in a pleasant way. Give him the glory that he deserves. As I said a moment ago, if we spend our days saying we praise God and then grumbling about our lot in life, who's going to believe the message that we have to preach? But Paul says, We've been perplexed and we've been troubled and we've been cast down and we've been persecuted. But all this has been done that the life of Christ might be made manifest in our lives. Now, to be a little practical, I think it's important for us also to understand that we can't be obnoxious in this, right? We can't go beat people over the head praising the name of the Lord because that's going to turn them off in the other direction. But as God gives us doors of opportunity, as he gives us opportunities to mention his name, not in a way where we're screaming in people's ears, but just mentioning the truth of the goodness of our God, that's what's going to change their perspective. That's what's going to cause them to look at our God in a different way. 
So praising the Lord and witnessing go hand in hand. Our outward flow of praise gives words to what our hearts understand about our God. So the resolution to praise. Last year at VBS, we had 68 kids. And what did we do? Praise the Lord. We praised the Lord. Why? Because there were 68 kids who spent a week of time in vacation Bible school learning the truths about Jesus, hearing the message of the gospel. And this year, we had 118 different kids, 110 kids as a high. And what do we do? Praise the Lord. Why? Because this year, God allowed more kids to come. Does that mean that God wasn't as powerful last year because only 68 kids came as a high and this year he was more powerful? No, it doesn't mean anything at all. What it does remind us is this, that when things are a little lower and things are a little higher, what do we do? We praise the Lord. I don't know if you've understood this or not, but our church is going through something exciting right now. To see the number of people who are joining and getting baptized and getting saved. Friends, we praise the Lord for that. But in a year down the road, if things slow down, what are we still going to determine to do? Praise the Lord. Why? Because the name of the Lord deserves to be praised at all times and in every situation. Praise the Lord. I love uh, that the quote, there are only two times that we should praise the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I wonder today, will you make this resolution that in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, that you will determine to praise the Lord. You want to have an impact on your children? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You want to have an impact in your neighborhood, in your job? Simply praise the Lord. So the psalmist's resolution to praise, he was fixed on this idea that while he had breath in his lungs and life in his body, until his dying day, he was going to praise the Lord. Then the psalmist gives us some reasons to praise in verses 5 through 10. As the psalmist continues praising the Lord, he goes on to show us the reasons why he was praising the Lord. He says this in verse number 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is therein, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise the Lord. The psalmist's reasons to give praise are very simple. In verse 5, he says, God deserves praise because he is the one who gives us hope. He is the one who makes us blessed or happy, not with a momentary happiness, but with a true and genuine and lasting joy that nothing can take away. In verse 6, he says he deserves praise for he created all things. And he says he keepeth truth forever. Are you thankful that truth is preserved forever? That it doesn't change? That today we're not saved by by Jesus' blood and then tomorrow we're saved by something else. But truth is truth. And the world wants to tell us that truth is constantly shifting and changing. But friend, that message is completely opposed to the Bible. Truth is truth. And who is the keeper of truth? it's, It's God. And because of that, he deserves to be praised. In verse 7, 
He says God deserves to be praised because he executes judgment for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He frees the prisoner. In verse 8, he opens the eyes of the blind. He raises those who are bowed down. In verse 9, he preserves the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. He takes care of the wicked. In verse 10, he reigns forever. If there was somebody to vote for or put your confidence in, don't you think the name of the Lord is that person? He's good in all his ways. As I was reading through this list that the psalmist had in his heart as he had seen God do these very things, my mind couldn't help but going to this reality that God still does these very things. And almost every one of these things can have a correlation to our salvation. Because we were the blind. We were the broken. We were the ones who were far from God. We were the fatherless in the sense of God being our father. We were the ones who were strangers. We were prisoners. We were hungry. We were oppressed. And yet God relieved us from every one of those things when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And so the psalmist's reason to praise is not a long list, but it's a good list. And if you're here today and you're struggling to find something to praise God over can I encourage you to read through verses 5 through 10 this afternoon over and over and over again until your heart comes to this place where it's overflowing with this idea that God is good and his name deserves to be praised. That God is good and his ways are righteous. That God is good and his ways are just. That we don't have to worry about the evil in the world because God is going to take care of the evil in the world. We simply speak the truth that God has given us to declare. We don't overcome darkness, but rather God overcomes darkness. Through us. I wonder today, will you dwell, will you meditate on these reasons to praise the name of the Lord? Praise gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto what God is doing in a global and supernatural scale. If you don't read the, the letters that come out from our missionaries, I would encourage you to do that. You know why? Because it reminds us that God's kingdom is not just St. Albans, Vermont but it's growing around the world. That these missionaries that we support on a monthly base, basis are doing the very same thing that we're doing in a different context, in a different place, but they're seeing the same results. And what is that result? That people are trusting Christ as their Savior. When, when, when we understand that God is working in ways that we can't fathom or that we don't understand, we'll begin to praise Him in a deeper way. I praise God. When we were talking Friday, there's another church plant coming to Burlington. Praise God! Why? Because there's people in Burlington who are lost. Praise God for the churches in the St. Albans or Franklin County area that preach the gospel. Why? We don't have a corner on the gospel. We have God's word. And if they're preaching the gospel that's in God's word, guess what? Praise the Lord. Why? Because people are coming to faith in Christ. People are getting saved. So the psalmist's reason to praise was not solely focused on what God had done for him. But his reason to praise was because his eyes were open to what God was doing all around him. And sometimes we think that our reason to praise is only found in what God is doing in our lives in this moment. But friend, when we understand that God is doing good things all around us, we'll praise him in a way that we've never praised him before. And if you're not praising God because God's not doing what you want him to do, then in essence, you've made yourself an idol who thinks you get to determine what is right and just. 
But what did the psalmist say? It's God who is righteous. It is God who is just. It is God whose, God whose ways are beyond our understanding. And the psalmist's reasons for praise were not stuck to himself, but they were focused on all that God was doing in areas that he couldn't himself go and doing things that he himself could not do. He was praising the name of God because God's name deserved to be praised. If God provided us with salvation alone, and that was the only blessing that he had given us, guess what? We would still be commanded to give him praise. Why? Because his name is worthy of praise. His name is worthy of praise. I love, if you back up one psalm, in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, The psalmist says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Gracious would be this idea of of two things, common grace, but also saving grace. This idea of common grace is this idea that, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. This idea of common grace is that food tastes good to everybody. You ever sit down and have a good steak or for you strange people, a good salad, and you say, oh my goodness, that is so good. Who gave food the ability to taste the way that food tastes? God did. And who gave you the ability to have taste buds on your tongue to enjoy the way that that food tastes? God did. God is gracious. He's full of compassion. That phrase simply means that his heart is towards us. His heart is for us. His heart yearns for us. He loves us. He's slow to anger, which is probably one of my favorites, that he's patient and calm with me when I'm bullheaded and arrogant. Anybody else ever been there? He's great in mercy. He doesn't act rashly, but he's calculated and intentional. He's good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The original word for his tender mercy signifies the womb where a baby is placed inside that mother. And the mercies of God towards men are therefore represented by this word to be like those of a mother towards the child of her womb. If you've ever been around a lady who's pregnant, don't they speak of great love for that baby that they've never even seen with their physical eyes? What is that? Tender mercies. And that is God's heart towards us as his children. He has tender mercies towards those of us who are his. And this is all really good stuff to think about in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. But it doesn't take long for us to have our minds shift off the good things and focus on the negative things. That's why we have to keep the good things before us. That's why we have to remind ourselves daily of God's graciousness and the benefits and the blessings that he has poured into our lives because when we stop focusing on those things very quickly our minds will begin to think of all the things that God hasn't done for us the ways that God hasn't provided for us this is what happened as if we were to look in the book of Jonah and we won't turn there for time's sake but in Jonah 4 1 for 1 through 4 Jonah saw the graciousness of God towards people that he didn't think deserved it, and it infuriated him. Jonah said, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew that you were a God who had great mercy. Now, was Jonah upset about the mercy that God had showed him? No. Jonah was thankful for the mercy that God had showed him. But what did he believe? 
that there were other people who did not deserve God's mercy or shouldn't be recipients of God's mercy. And Jonah's heart had begun to focus solely on him. And when it focused solely on him and what he wanted to do, he stopped praising God in the way that God deserved to be praised. And when he stopped praising God in the way that God deserved to be praised, he stopped witnessing in the way that God had called him to witness. And so we must keep this idea of the reasons that God's name deserved to be praised in front of us. For when we take our eyes off of those things, we'll find ourselves becoming resentful and angry and irritated in the way that God is working. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. But what is the focus of our rejoicing and what is the focus of our weeping? Ultimately, it's the God who's in control. And we can rejoice with those who rejoice when we remember that God's name deserves to be praised. And we can weep with those who weep when we remember that God is the one who eventually will heal all hurts in this life. Went through some premarital counseling this morning with Emma and Gabe, and we were walking through 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things that Paul says is that charity or love rejoices not in evil. Rejoices not in evil. The heart of a believer should never be that person got what they deserved. Praise God. Because what do we deserve? What do we deserve? death and separation and hell for all of eternity. We don't rejoice in, in iniquity. We don't, we don't rejoice in evil. But rather, we come alongside those who are facing dark days and we point them to the one who will heal all wounds. So as we think about the reason to praise, I think we can agree with what the psalmist says in Psalm 135.5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is is above all gods. There's a lot of gods in this world. They're not carved statues and, and idols that we would place on our mantles, at least not in America. In other parts of the, country, or the world, they certainly are those things. But even where we are, we make a lot of things gods that were never intended to be gods, even ourselves at times. But when we stop, and we read through the Psalms, we read through the Scriptures, and we understand that there is one true God, then we understand that there is only one who deserves praise, and that is the name of the Lord. And so as the psalmist ends this psalm, he says in verse 10, The Lord shall reign forever and ever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. And so why do we praise God forever? Because He's eternal. In his kingdom and in his reign, there is no end. So this morning I challenge you to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. Wherever you find yourself, praise the Lord. In whatever battle you're facing, praise the Lord. In the victory that God has given you, praise the Lord. If you're confused and you have no idea what is going on in life, praise the Lord. Why? Because his name deserves to be praised. So I ask you this morning, what is your heart towards God today? Do you view him as distant? Understand he's not. Do you view him as a genie or like a vending machine that you, you tell him what you want and then he's obligated to give it to you to fulfill the order that you have placed? Understand he's also not that. Do you view him as someone who is kind to everyone but you? 
Understand that's not who he is either. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of giving glory to. He is worthy of honoring him with our lips and with our lives. But the question is, do we actually do these things? The psalmist was resolutely standing firm that the name of God was worthy to be praised with everything within him. He was going to praise the Lord until his dying day when he took his last breath. He was going to praise the Lord. This praise would not be in pretense and it would not be to impress those around him, but it would be honest and sincere praise that he was magnifying the name of the one who was worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And as the psalmist was convinced about those very things in his day, let us also be convinced that those things are still true in our day. That at all times and in all seasons, the name of the Lord is to be praised. If we believe that, then it will be evidenced in the lives that we live. If we believe that He is worthy of praise, then what comes off of our lips will simply be the overflow of our hearts to magnify and to lift up the name of God. But maybe you're here today and you're asking, what has God really done that deserves us giving praise to Him? What has God done for us in 2023, uh, on June 25th? What has God done for us? Can I remind you of, of probably the most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand that His desire is that you would be saved. You're not here today by accident, but we would believe you're here by divine appointment. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A promise that all who come to Him will receive the life that he is offering, that all who come to him by faith and repentance of their sins will be forgiven and they'll be given hope in this life but also in the life to come. And maybe you're here today like those two girls who started coming to VBS on Monday night lost and far from God. But on Friday night they went home as children of the king. I wonder today, will you make the decision today to trust Christ as your Savior? Will you repent of your sins and turn to the one who sent his son to die in your place? If you will, then you'll understand in an even deeper way why God's name deserves to be praised. Because he's the only one who could provide salvation for you. And for the believers in this room today, those who have trusted Christ, I'm just going to simply ask you this. Do you spend your days praising the Lord? Do people even know you're a believer by the things that you talk about? Do your kids see a testimony of faithful praise in front of them day in and day out? Does your lost family see somebody one, somebody who, who truly believes that God does hold all things in his hand? See, praising the Lord 
again, takes the focus off of us and off of what we're going through. And it points our attention and also the attention of those around us to the one who's worthy of praise. And so I would ask us again, are we praising the Lord? In just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. As I said a moment ago, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then understand that, that this is not for you. We're not discriminating against you. It's just we're following what the Bible says. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, if you have questions about how you can be saved, see me after the service and we'll go through how you can be saved. And then guess what? We can observe the Lord's Supper again because you'll be a child of God in that moment. But if you're not saved, we would ask you to abstain at this point. But for the believers in the room, I would also ask you to do what Paul tells us to do, and that's simply to examine our lives and to see if in this moment we're worthy of, of receiving the Lord's Supper. We know we're made worthy through the blood of Christ, but we also understand that sometimes sin creeps into our lives. And again, we need to repent of those things. If that's you today, as we take just a moment, I pray that, that we would confess our sins and that we would prepare our hearts to remember Christ in the way that he desired to be remembered as the one who died for us.